Birds All Day is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Blue Jays and baseball tickets tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the latest, fastest, easiest way to get into the game. It's as easy as a two-tap checkout in an app that's simple and easy to navigate. And there's also, beyond sports tickets, there's music and theater tickets as well. So head to the App Store or the Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hey, what's going on? Greetings and good day, and welcome to another edition of Birds All Day. My name is Drew Fairservice. We are back one week after we did the last one of these, I guess. Uh, we had talked about doing them every other week in the offseason, but no! We have a special, a very special edition of Birds All Day this week, because not only do we have a special guest, we uh, we talked to Mark Shapiro, but so special, so special, I don't know, special enough that it the recording of this interview had all three of us, the people who make this magic happen, in the same room together with Mark Shapiro. Of course, there's me, Drew is my name. We have uh, producer Tyler and uh, the man who joins me as always. Uh, old Reliable. Old Reliable Mr. Andrew Stoughton. Stoughton, it was good to see you. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We don't Stoughton. do that anymore. No, we don't. <laughs> we, we, we've we come a long way from doing this in uh, at your place to uh, to now doing it. From increasingly uh, distant places, as we grow, go and move further and uh, and further away. But I seem I seem to recall there was another place we did it for a while, also. But we did, we did do it in in a, in a different place than than our own homes <laughs> at at the time. Uh, but yeah, we went down to the Rogers Center where the Blue Jays uh, baseball club executive offices are, and we sat in the executivist of all offices, and we talked to Mark Shapiro. Right? Yeah, no, we did. No, I mean, people will be hearing that. <laughs> did, I, did I hallucinate yeah. that? <laughs> no, that happened. That happened. The the standing desk, the whiteboard, it was all there. Uh, we let him know that we had had a bit of fun with both of those things, and he it was a. Good oh, he knew. He about knew it. about the whiteboard. <laughs> uh, it's hard not he, to. I believe. I believe I described it as like the uh, the. I don't remember something offensive. Um, oh but, yeah, I've been shitting on it for for you know basically since it became apparent that it was a thing that exists. The funny thing was, and I don't know if this was on or off the air, but he was like, oh, "I don't like jargon," and we're like looking at this this like shrine to jargon that was in behind him, like this business speak. But uh, but no, I, I think I, I think we, we don't want to blather on too long. We want to get right to the meat here. Um, but I think we had a, it was an informative and uh, enjoyable uh, time to to chat with him about the Blue Jays and the ba- and the game of baseball and the league at large. I found him to be quite forthcoming, and uh, you know he is um, he's well practiced in these things. It was not his first rodeo, but um, I don't know. I, I thought it was a good a good discussion, and I hope that uh, people enjoy it. So this one is this episode. If you are uh, a subscriber or not subscriber, you're going to be able to hear this interview regardless. If you're on iTunes, if you are an athletic subscriber and listening to it here in the ecosystem, if you're not a subscriber, you're going to want to do that for a myriad, for myriad reasons. But also, uh, so and I are going to go after we talk to Mark Shapiro, after you hear it, we're going to kind of break it down. We're going to go over some of the things that stuck out to us and just sort of, um, you know, kind of parse some of his words or uh, maybe criticize our own words, which is probably not going to happen. But so if you want to do that, <laughs> yeah. if you want to hear us ad free, talking about a almost everything we talk about from week to week, and also this, uh, it's the extended version of this episode itself, you're going to want to go to theathletic.com slash birds all day. Subscribe, get that discount code, provided it's still active. I assume that it is. Get in there, get it, and then get all of the amazing offerings of sports content because, frankly, the places that bake sports content are uh, disappearing, going away from us day by day. By day. So this is the one that you're going to want to sign up for. So with no further ado, is there any more ado? There's no need for any more ado, is there? No, I don't, I don't have any ado, yeah. Okay, no. 
No more ado. So here we are, birds all day, talking with Mark Shapiro. So yes, it is our pleasure at this time to be joined by none other than the Blue Jays, President and CEO, Mr. Mark Shapiro. Mark, thank you for taking the time to join us. It's good to be with you guys. Thanks. Uh, so here we are. It's uh, kind of late October. Not a ton going on on like the baseball news front, but uh, I'm sure you're still the whole team still here. The whole front office team is still here every day, still making plans. What if you could? Just help us kind of sort of script the time sort of between the season ends and then you know, when the World Series ends and, and free agency begins. Wh- yeah. What does it look like for, for your perspective, which is maybe a little bit removed from baseball operations? Yeah, I mean, it's still I'm still trying to keep my finger on a pulse of our planning process. So there's a there's a kind of a tier different tiers of meetings that occur starting with the end of the season with the major league coaching staff and then with player development staff, with our pro scouts and basically you're, everything you're trying to do is scenario plan and then have that coincide with your budgeting process to kind of develop an off-season plan. Um, and so the final piece of that was last week where we met with uh, a group of our research and development group, our, some, some of our front office executives, some of our scouts, um, some of our other front office leaders, and to come up with kind of, hey, as we prioritize the off-season and think about this team, the juncture you're at, where we're going you know, what opportunities should we prioritize? But again, all of that is a little bit just trying to play out scenarios because you don't, you know, you're, it takes two different partners and we're evaluating all three variables, which is the internal alternatives. So whether it's players that haven't played here but are on the horizon or players that have played here to be careful, we're not, you know, overlooking their contributions or what they could be. And that's probably the trickiest piece. And then free agents that are out there and trade partners. And we're trying to walk through all three alternatives to look at where we have gaps, where we identify it, how do we fill, and then how do we prioritize the offseason business. And that, that'll kick off two weeks after the World Series and, and move pretty rapidly. It's all condensed in a pretty short time frame. And down, somewhere downstairs, there's like a you know, hundred and whatever, 17 days until a first spring training game, which is hard to even imagine, mm-hmm. you know. Is there also like a big board? I imagine like a big matrix with names and, uh, you know, just in terms of yeah. where guys are uh, in terms of their service time and, 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 and how that, you know, just impacts the, the roster in a day-to-day, which isn't necessarily like there's a master plan somewhere and you're going to take us there down and show was, us that. You know, there, there are still somewhere magnet boards, but, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's funny, the magnet boards, which I had in my office for 20 years, you know, are slowly being replaced by just, you know, it's all virtual, it's all online, it's easier to adjust. It. it's easier to change it it's easier to recreate it if the magnets fall down <laughs> um so it's it's almost all online now that way everybody has kind of a virtual they can no matter where they go they can easily access what are our pref lists where are alternatives how do we look at other organizations um we have the history of every conversation you know that we have just so we kind of can can go back and and everything we're trying to do is trying to take out bias you know you're just you're biased by what you watch in the world series you'll see there'll be a Oh, the Nationals are doing it with older players. Everybody needs to think we're missing the boat with older players. You know, like everybody tends to be reactive. And then no matter who you are, no matter how good your process is, you tend to be impacted by recency bias, contextual bias, all those different things that factor into it. The World Series, I don't want to get too bogged down, but to me, this year and last year, both a reflection of um, the difference when you're building a team in terms of the players you use when you're winning, Versus the players you you lose when you're uh, you use when you're losing, like on a winning team. I think we've seen the Nationals to get to the World Series and the Red Sox last year using their starters in their bullpen, using their you know leaning on starters to get out big outs in the middle or late innings. Um, uh, is that sort of that's sort of all hands on deck in the playoffs, and it, it doesn't necessarily reflect how you're going to build the team, or is it a matter of those kind of decisions that you think about like how is, is this guy going to be able to be the type of player who's going to respond to that is this somebody that we can maybe count on to do go the extra mile should that scenario arise yeah i mean i would i, I the last piece is kind of different from the other last mm-hmm. piece of that question is kind of different from the other things and that's kind of identifying what kind of performers can can react you know under pressure and, mm-hmm. and in certain situations i you know like there's there's some you know people that dispel the concept that there's any such thing as a, a player who's a clutch type hitter you know because the the sample size is so small that's not really true it doesn't exist 
other people would say probably there's some some difference to that that it does exist so i think you do i try to identify attributes of players that allow players to to perform at their peak level more often than other players but and those same characteristics and traits whatever they are you know that that help a player you know have the ability to do that um are going to translate into i remember when we first got to the playoffs after rebuilding the indians and you know, everybody struggled because they put so much. They were great guys that put so much pressure on themselves. But Johnny Peralta was just like this flatline guy, and so the fans used to hate it when they watched him play during the season because mm-hmm. it looked like he didn't care. It looked like he was just going through the motions. In reality, he just had that you know you call it like a slow pulse, you know, and he was able to continue that slow pulse into a postseason. And he performed. Um, but the second piece, the first piece of what you asked. It's just a different animal in postseason. If once you get in, you do whatever you humanly can do uh, to, to keep going and win. And that means all rules are off. All you know, the pitch counts, the days between every everything is suspended as everybody kind of has a unified um, mission that we're going to take advantage of in the opportunity. You know, in postseason because you just don't know how often they come around. Uh, one thing you mentioned when we joked about the the magnet board was. Uh, uh, in- almost improving the infrastructure, information infrastructure, um, undergoing massive changes across the organization. Uh, your first season in charge uh, w- with Ross as well was 2016, where you got to see the building full every day. You got to have get you know see what it means to have playoff revenue and just that energy in the city. Did, did that sort of um, best case scenario view of the organization at your first, almost first blush, did it help to shape what came after and, and kind of identifying priorities in terms of where you needed to take the team moving forward? Um, it shaped me. It clearly impacted me. I don't think it had any impact on what I think we needed to do moving forward. That was clear coming in. Um, I think looking at it, you know, I tend to be a pretty careful, cerebral thinker. And to leave someplace after 24 years, I gave a lot of consideration before coming here. So I had some abstract understanding of what this market could be with a sustainable winner and just the monster that it could be. But to actually get here and probably, you know, a couple things stood out in that first year. Uh, The first one was there was just some night in April where there was like a TFC game. There was a Cavs game. um, There was, you know, a Leafs game on TV maybe or something. And there might have been a concert. And there was a lot going on all at once. And I remember, and we still were sold out here or close to it. And like a midweek game in April. And I remember thinking, man, like in Cleveland, if there was a Browns preseason game, our attendance took a massive hit, you know, a concert and we had no one coming. So the depth of the market, the capacity of this market, the kind of support teams, you know, that they're behind was like, it was incredibly clear. It was, you know, and then just being here longer, that got even more clear. And then, I mean, it gets written about a lot, but when you, I think watching us play in Seattle, like if you ever, you can hear it's a national team, but to think that's thousands of kilometers from here. It's not like, you know, hop in a car and drive three hours. That's thousands of kilometers. And to see that ballpark be a home stadium for us, um, that, was a pretty powerful kind of and took the abstract to reality that this is oh we really are we are a national team there's and that's more it's not really a a part of the business model because you don't realize revenue from that necessarily but i think it is a point of pride and it is a point of differentiation and something else when i you know so two things i considered is this is a the only team that represents you know when i would consider coming here the differentiation the only team that represents a country you know, the only team that, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like the depth of market here was also a point of differentiator for most teams in MLB. There are other teams that are, are close. And uh, so speaking to that, I mean, uh, do you ever worry about maybe taking for granted the idea that, uh, you know, the fans, after all of what's gone on on the field and the product kind of uh, being weaker the last couple of years, uh, do you worry about taking for granted the fact that they're going to come back? Or, I mean, it seems like you guys and all, throughout the league, uh, it's just it's expected that once the winning starts happening, the people are going to come back. Never take fans for granted. I think sure. that'd be a big mistake. <laughs> of um, course. But again, I would kind of ask you, what was the alternative? No, I mean, what was the alternative? It, yeah. Uh, you start 
going hat in hand to the to the higher ups at Rogers, and I don't know how and, easy that and, is because of and I would say a lot this, of factors. Probably. And I would say this, even that, you know, like uh, I, I think I guess I would say, and this does answer go back goes back to your question, Drew. It kind of does like I was I impacted by the fans absolutely to the point that, and I know this has been written about like too many times and talked about too many times to the point that you know we lunged and tried to do everything humanly possible to keep the window open as long as there was an objection an objectable uh you know possibility for us to win like we felt like there was an objective reason to say if this happens and this happens and this happens we can have a winning team um and really the exact opposite happened we're like you know sanchez strong and every you know donaldson every single guy was hurt but had those had those guys stayed healthy and performed it at kind of average levels, we're still in the wild card mix and we're still doing that for the fans, Andrew. So um, never take it for granted. But at some point, I think you have you, you need to not be in the middle ground. Like I think, you know, there, there's ultimately a choice. Do you, you know, can you still probably build 500 teams and kind of perpetually kind of stay in that middle ground? Yeah, I think you can probably do that. Um, but if you, say that the goal is to win a world championship and the goal is to win at the and to do that sustainably then in order to do that you have to there's no model without having your own talent to do that and so to have your own talent it's not three or four guys it's got to be like waves of guys it's got to be 15 20 25 30 and then because it really is a numbers game nobody's that smart nobody can say like this guy absolutely when you get to the top like one to two percent like Vladdy, someone like that it's like okay this guy's gonna be a good player well how good we're not sure but he's gonna be he's like everybody knows that but then like a Kevin Biggio comes where he's better than we thought like we're not we're not that smart and that has to do with a lot of different things that his makeup his character his personality his work ethic um and it just translates better up here so but you need a whole lot of numbers. And so I think that relentless desire to kind of, it's not about trying not to win. It's about, okay, how do we try as fast as possible to win in a sustainable way, in a way that we can keep winning when we get there. And we're going to supplement. We'll start doing it this off season, but you still can't do it. Even, even like you can't do it without having some of your own guys mixed in. There's no better way to, uh, increase the number of your own guys than to develop them and i know we were talking about it before we started recording and it's a big um point of pride i think for yourself is the the changes that are going on in dunedin um uh, just how much of a difference do you think this is going to make i mean maybe not necessarily quantify it but but how is it going to change the way that this organization develops players having a state-of-the-art facility with um just a the full you know complement of options in terms of physical development and 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 mental development and whatever else that that you have envisioned coming out of that facility well i think as we've kind of witnessed certainly one of the teams playing two teams playing the world series right now houston and some of the rise of other teams like the dodgers and um the cubs and tampa and and the indians and some of the other teams that are winning most consistently right now what you're seeing is the bulk of money and resources is being put into player development. It's the one area where there are no controls and no limits to what you can do. Um, it's the one area where we were probably slowest to evolve as a game. You know, the the model when I first was a farm director is throw the bats and balls out in the field and the cream will rise to the top. And so we're just ultimately playing. We're providing a forum for our players to play. And the best players get there, which is a fact, by the way. And then we started to realize, well, if we can develop the other aspects of the player, maybe not just the fundamental, but the mental and physical side of that player with strength and conditioning, with mental performance, you know, some of those things, that was the next step. You know, we committed more resources in those areas. We built the first weight room, strength and conditioning staffs. We hired the first mental performance coaches. Um, and we started to close to, to establish competitive advantages and to maximize performance with that. And now it's technology and analytics, and we see players, you know, that are going throwing a pitch and going back and saying, "What was the spin rate of that pitch?" and "How do I manipulate the spin rate?" and thinking about that and looking at their uh, an Edgertronics, you know, motion capture video and kind of saying, "Okay, where was I at when my foot at foot plant there? Where was my arm?" and thinking about their delivery. And we look at hitters thinking about launch angles, and you know, there's a lot of information out there. So I think a, a facility 
that has the infrastructure, a facility that has, you know, the skeleton to not just support that technology and the analysis, but foster a collaborative development environment where staff and front office and players are all collaborating and working together to help maximize that player's potential. Design and space has a big part of that. Uh, and then finally, getting our major leaguers and minor leaguers together, we've been kind of segregated, you know, for lack of a better word, like completely, like the way spring training's conducted, the way we train, the way we socialize. There's not a lot of opportunity for our major league players to model. There's not a lot of opportunity for our major and minor league staffs to interact. Um, so we talked about it before we went on air, Andrew, like the ability to kind of establish an identity. What do we stand for? Like when things get tough, when things get bad, what does a Blue Jay player stand for? That identity was kind of more fractured, right? Because the major leagues were practicing, you know, 10 kilometers away from the minor leagues. And that doesn't sound very far. It was a world apart. No one gets in the car and makes that drive very frequently. And so now we'll all be in one place with the best space humanly possible, whether it's feeding our players, whether it's just providing an atmosphere for relaxing or whether it's informal socialization, whether it's strength and conditioning, hitting, pitching. We'll have labs, sports science labs, everything, you you know, ability to kind of sit in a room and have a hitting collaboration space, you know, where players can come in, watch video, talk to a hitting coach, talk to each other. I think all those things we've been, there was a lot of intent and a lot of thought given to every square foot of that building and how we, and then thinking about how we use it. I mean, this to me, I mean, I know you do a lot of league stuff to back up from the Blue Jays, maybe a touch. This this almost sounds like an ad to me for this concept of, of not getting rid of the minor leagues entirely, but uh, but how uh, that sort of idea was floated. And there was some reporting at Baseball America about uh, lessening the number of teams because I assume for the, the, exact, the, the exact reasons you're saying of how valuable it is to have everybody in that one place and all the technology and all of that stuff together. Well, I would still say the more players you have playing, the more chance you have of developing players. So I'd still like to see more players play. Mm -hmm. I think if you probably put unlimited numbers on, you know, and you look at the teams that have the most numbers of teams out there, there's some of the better teams. So um, I, I think that there's that most people that are removed from the game look at the number of minor league players and the percentages of people who are successful and just say that's an inefficient model. They just say that's inefficient. There's got to be a way to make that more efficient. Mm -hmm. I do probably think um, that we could be better with the timing of the draft and with players' first year of experience. I think that it could there could be a better design for how players transition from amateur baseball to professional baseball. I've probably felt that way for 15 to 20 years and vocalized that. So I think that could have some impact on the number of teams. Um, but I don't think that anything supplants, you know, takes the place of playing the game and playing it in a competitive environment. I do think that spring training facilities used to be just that, a place teams came and prepared for the season. And that was it. And now they are state-of-the-art training and rehabilitation facilities that get used 365 days a year. They are, they're open all the time. So, like, there's already, we already have big league players down there. Vladdy's down there. Baraki's down there. We've got guys down there that are working right now. We'll run, the, the, the programs shifted from instructional league, which was basically playing games, to we'll run very specialized programs, you know, a hitting camp we'll run a pitching camp we'll run a defense camp we'll run a strength and conditioning camp you know we'll run with very you know clear purpose uh, and much more specialized than it used to be so a building like that allows us to kind of take advantage of of that space and take advantage of that approach to development um, i still don't think it it replaces playing the game though it's interesting to hear that players like Vlad, Vlad Guerrero, obviously there's a lot of uh, focus on him and, and his. this is a big offseason for him in terms of preparing for the grind of 162 games and, and really uh, making the most of what it's abundantly obvious to anyone who's watched him that he can be. But I wonder about the... Um, the lead a horse to water sort of uh, if I could use an analogy in terms of you know cr creating this space and, and putting this stuff out there. Um, is there um, do you feel like 
having a great facility will a encourage players to want to be part of it and and having it be uh you use the word collaborative a lot and just having the players kind of almost police themselves not police themselves but spend time with each other as opposed to a one size fits all sort of you're going to do what we, we want you to do do you think that there's there's um there's a is there a model for that is this something you've seen other other ways in the big leagues or in other sports even where i mean we're getting guys to give up their off season and they're already working yeah um, I, I mean two things one you know development isn't something you do to players like a player like anyone in life if we don't take accountability or ownership of our own development you know whether it's an executive whether it's you know someone who's the best the best teacher they can possibly be you know like you have to take accountability and ownership so we can tell a player all we want and you know they're 20 21 22 year olds until they ultimately say like i own my career like i want to be the best i can possibly be it's not going to happen. We, we can like ask them, we can tell them, we can guide them, we can push them, we can communicate with them. But the best players, they, they're, they're driving themselves. Our job is to, you know, one, give them the best resources humanly possible, mentally, physically, fundamentally. That's coaches, that's buildings, that's tools, that's equipment, that's technology, whatever it is, to give them some ideas and thoughts as to how to best utilize that. So a plan. And then to work with them to help them be the best they can be. So one of the big fallacies in sport is we're not opposed to these guys. Like, think just sheer business, like just sheer business. If they're the best they can be, we're the best we can be. We only disagree, We only don't align with players like 1% of the time, and that's contract. The rest of the time, we're, the, you know, we're doing the best job we can be if they perform the best they can be. So any thought that we don't want them to be good, any thought that we don't want to pay them, we want to pay them more because that means they're better. You know, so there's only one time a year that you're kind of not aligned with the player. The building and having an opportunity for them, they're going to train anyway. The game's already transformed. Like guys don't take an off season. They might take a couple weeks. So if you're saying, are they going to do it with some outside consultant, strength and conditioning coach, an outside consultant, hitting guru or pitching guru, that's possible. They may stay because they want to be in California. They want to be in Texas. They want to be where their home is. I would think that if we have one of the best resources available to them, and it's already, even without it being great resources, more and more players will move there. More and more players will live there. More and more staff will live there. And we'll get a critical mass of people training there all year round. There's, there are side benefits of that from teammate, you know, culture, environment perspective. Uh, but the more players we can have together, the more often, the better it is for us. And so I think that, yes, we would like like that to be the case. Uh, but we'll also support players that don't want to be there. It's just that, you know, I think we'll have a lot more and we'll have more the, more capability. Our, our weight room now, when there's more than 15, 20 people in there, it's crowded. I feel like it's a big victory for the organization, a big step forward. Again, something that you clearly are passionate about and clearly have yeah. uh, spent a lot of time and energy and uh, and major and, step for us. Big step to go from like bottom two or three to top two or three. That's a it's mm-hmm. it's really a paradigm shift. I mean, it's going to be thinking you know challenging Ben Sherrington and Gil Kim and our staff. Like, how do you use it? You know, how do you program it? Like, that's mm-hmm. that's going to be incredible to think about that. They're obviously giving a lot of thought of that already. Yeah. Um, but as a point of pride, uh, this week has, there's been a lot of, um, uh, maybe not positive news league wide. Um, you know, for, <laughs> you think, <laughs> let's, okay. frankly, but four years in, are you, are you proud of the, of the, the organization that you, that, that, um, exists? Not, you know, it's a, it takes a, it takes a village, but are you proud of the, the, the state of the organization right now? The people you have with you and, and, and alongside you and, and the players that you've brought in? Yeah, I mean, incredibly proud of the people. I mean, that's ultimately what it's about. I mean, ultimately, you, you you want the results to be there. And so that, you know, and I think, you know, one of the things I realized kind of early in my career is that people and values and, and you know, those those kinds of things are ultimately a little bit private because, you know, fans cheer success and wins regardless of who's providing them. Um, so if you truly do want to walk the walk and you do, do truly care about the players that are out there and they represent more than just winning, but they represent like people you believe in too and character you believe in and guys you care about and want to pull for, 
man, the job's so much better when you're pulling for a guy. Like when you legitimately care about a guy and you're pulling for a guy, when you know what makes him tick, when you know how much he cares. So I, I used, you know, to use a recent example, like Danny Jansen this year, like that guy struggled, man. Like he obviously was hitting below 200, I think in like, what, July or, I mean, deep into the season. But to see him, to know how much he cared, to know how tough he was, that he never let that at all affect. He was the first guy here. He was tireless in his preparation for the pitchers. Like he was working, no matter how much he was struggling offensively, he was working to help our pitchers maximize. And if you look, we outperform our pitchers way outperformed their talent this year. Like our, you know, our numbers, like, you know, especially the second half of the year were really good. Um, and he was a big part of that. Like he was helping us maximize pitch sequences and thinking about how we attack hitters. So it's easier to stay with Danny Jansen when he's struggling in 200. If you believe in his work ethic, how much he cares, how much he wants to win, how much he wants to help other guys. And then when that guy does have success on the other side of that, it's, it's, it's really what these jobs are all about. Like those, once you've kind of gone through this cycle where you've seen things like that, you've seen guys come through it, you've seen guys be successful, you know, it's, those are the guys you hold up and say, that's, you know, that's kind of what we stand for. That's how we're going to be great is we're going to have players who maybe succeed from day one, like Bo, uh, but guys also like Danny Jansen who are going to grind it out and work and get better and figure out a way to make, you know, challenges, make them better players. Do you think that's maybe not that aspect of it, but has the, you know, I think 29 years you've been in, in, in the game. Have you seen a change in, in, in the players as well? Like this sort of professionalization and kind of getting away from the, the folksy organization that's owned by you know, the town's richest guy sort of thing. Yeah. Where it's, it's, I feel like in this generation, it's, it's trickled down all the way through to the players where, you know, the, from the youth structure these guys are coming up with it almost like a different kind of work ethic they don't come to spring they don't come to florida to kind of sweat off the beer that they drank all winter long it's, right. it's very different um do you think that it's it's been for the better um to to see this sort of uh again professionalization maybe is the word i'm going to use yeah. and, and just um, um bringing a bit more of a maybe corporatization is probably the best is, is a better word and i it's hard for me to say better i kind of it always changes, you know, it evolves. I mean, if it, I think if you have no choice, like you either adapt or you, you're gone. You know, I, I always say like, listen, man, like when I first got in, we were literally making trades with like stat books on our laps, paper scouting reports and filing cabinets behind our desk. So what do you think my lifespan would have been as an executive if we were still making trades that way, if I refused to change and adapt and utilize the information and analysis that's out there? And we didn't, you, you're, you have no choice. You know, you either, you know, adapt and continue to look for, to outpace the other teams doing it, or you fall behind and you're extinct. You no longer exist. You're a dinosaur, you know? So um, is that better or worse it's still human, you know, the players are still human beings. It may be harder to kind of build that bond than it used to be because I think money, you know, that, that money is what, you know, ultimately the what's at stake for these guys and what's at stake for the owners and, and the reality that it's a bigger business than it used to be when it was a folksy, smaller business. And, um, you know, the, the amount that players could potentially earn creates more anxiety, more insecurity, more you know, more fear and more concern for them that they actually get it. So it's, there's more, you know, more sense of urgency as well. And same thing for the caution on clubs parts, you know, like how do you, you know, the, you know, how careful we are with pitchers to try to protect them and not hurt them and all those kinds of the workloads that people talked about, like keeping players healthy and on the field. That's just because, What's at stake is bigger when we have a better understanding of when a guy's not playing, you know, what that means to our team. So we're trying to maximize the amount we can push and keep a player on the field. It still comes down to people, though. And I think when when you are when great things happen, when a team is better than you think it's going to be, when you outperform what you expect, you know, to be able to perform just based on payroll or just sheer objective analysis that usually comes down to there's some exceptional human beings, some exceptional teammates, some exceptional dynamic that exists that defies, you know, pure analysis, that defies pure objective capability. And so 
Um, the two things, the one, like I said, if I'm going to go down, I want to go down with players that I believe in, not just as talent, but also as people. Not that you compromise talent, you want both. Um, and then two, those teams also tend to do great things and tend to defy your expectation. And three, on a private level, it's more fun pulling and cheering for those for those types of teams and those types of people. So you mentioned uh, the difference maybe between objective and subjective. So maybe here's a subjective question that's for you know competition uh, committee. Uh, Mark okay. is uh, at part maybe an offshoot of the corporatization of the game in a way is do you think baseball maybe has a bit of an aesthetics pro- uh, problem right now I mean the World Series games can be a slog uh, there's yes. just uh, there's so many changes in the game. It's games. hard for me to watch at times the other night when the, I, I think it was game I think it was game six of the ALCS but when they used they both used both they both yeah. used openers and you know they're it was like four innings in and seven pitchers in already. And I'm like watching it going, holy cow, I love this game. I mean, it's my life's work. I mean, I, I am passionate about the game and it was, it was a lot. There was a lot at stake in that game. You could feel the tension. It was great, but man, the tension dissipates when you're having to watch all those (laughs) pitching changes and and they, and they, they flashed to Joe Siddall, like, you know, and they, and they asked him like, Joe, what do you think? And he goes, it's hard to watch. And I, I couldn't believe he said it, yeah. but I was like, man, he's right. It was like, you know, we, we have to get better. Like we have to get better as a game. I, for me, it's, you know, I've, I've said, it's not about length of game. It's all about just pace of action. We have to think about how to get more action in our game. Some of the great world series games and great, you know, just more balls in play. The three true outcomes have naturally occurred, I think, because of both information and, um, and all the things we're talking about, the way we do, we're able to develop velocity and pitchers and develop swings and hitters. And so now it's walks, strikeouts, and homers are like the three things you're most likely to see. Homers are fun to watch. You know, strikeouts, if you're a fan of the game, could be fun to watch. But when you watch those three things happen, they take a long time and there's not a lot of action. I just, I think we need to get more balls in play and just show the athleticism of our players. And I always, I was not a soccer guy growing up. You know, I didn't actually like soccer. I played football and kind of, you know, frowned upon soccer. Now I have an incredible appreciation that you can have action without scoring. And I think soccer is the greatest example. You watch that and you're always kind of thinking, oh, it's like it's 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 going to happen right here. There's not a lot of scoring, but you, you feel like you can't walk away. I think baseball needs to think about that and consider that and, and move closer to something like that. Soccer, especially live, when as soon as the ball goes over half, you realize that the net's just right there. Like It, <laughs> it, it, it can happen at any, yeah, at any yeah. point. On TV, it yeah. looks big. But and I've got an appreciation for that now that I didn't yeah. have growing up. I think there's there's something to be said for the universal appeal that soccer or football is kind of mm-hmm. taken on. Sure. Um, but I guess the other side of that is so we, we – it's not not breaking news that the baseball is, is is kind of struggling with that part of identity i think they had a stat about just a sheer number of even uh, full counts in a, in a game again you've got the best pitchers and the best hitters it's really going to drag it out how do you and this is a very difficult question that you and many other people with lifetimes in the game are, are working to to solve but how do you uh legislate that while also making it organic like how can we how can yeah. you change this game that's known for being a grand historical game without turning it into you know slam ball with with uh, <laughs> with dunks and trampolines and all right. that kind of stuff well i think you have to do it carefully i think you have to test a lot in the minor leagues before you do it in the big leagues i think you have to be very careful not to offend fans not to offend and you have to try to do it with players uh, on board with you. It's one of the biggest challenges right now is the dynamic between the union and MLB is not, you know, not the best. And I think that's what always happens as you get close to a CBA negotiation. In the end, I'd, I'd like to believe I'm not an owner and I'm not a player. I'd like to believe that we all just love the game and we can figure out ways to make the game better and hopefully recognize that we all we're all stakeholders and we all have a lot to gain or a lot to lose if we don't figure out how to do that. Um, I, I think on a, and a, a very personal opinion that the strike zone and the ball probably represent the two most non-offensive ways to change it without, you know, changing rules and legislating things that would have a much bigger visible impact to fans and uh, but could still result in some real behavioral changes. Uh, but I won't get into anything more than that. I just say those are when I think about it, those are the two levers I think you could pull without really you know, legislating a massive change in the game. You mentioned the opener. We had we had those two um, those two bullpen games, 
and I think it, it it has a it relates to the aesthetics as well as the kind of business side and the and the the working with the union and looking ahead to the CBA. Do you think that the opener is a winning strategy? Do you think that that's a strategy that's going to be we're going to see employed by championship caliber teams, or is it more of a budgetary concern? Because personally, that's how I I view it. As yeah, a, it's a budget thing. It's not a budget thing. I mean, I don't know how you separate the two. It's you know, it's uh, it, it goes back to the core of the way major league baseball shares revenue. It's just a more, it's more dependent upon local revenue. And so it's not a, it's not an equal system. Um, and the reality is your job is to not make excuses and figure out a way to win. So, uh, if you're in Tampa Bay and you've got the 29th highest revenues in major league baseball, you can either say, well, then we have no chance to win, or you can figure out a way to win. That's your job. If you're, if you're in Toronto where you've got you know, foreign exchange rate and maybe a stadium that can't drive revenue the same way as the Yankees and Red Sox and they're in your division, you can say, well, then we'll just accept being third place. Or you can say, I'm not going to make those excuses and we're going to figure out a way to win. And so creativity, um, front office intellect, which is, you know, obviously why guys like me, you know, are, are increasingly not in the game anymore because the other guys are so smart, you know, with the, throughout the game. Um, the open-mindedness to new different and different ideas rather than just saying it has to be the exact same way it's always been has resulted in ideas like the opener. And as much as we'd all rather just say we're starting five guys that are going to all give us six innings, the ability to go through a lineup three times around, you know, and find enough people to do that just doesn't exist the way it used to do. That's because of information. That's because of development. It's because of the you know, the maximizing of, of the athleticism and the, the tools and skills of our athletes. So um, the opener is just one way around having less talent to help you still be competitive. It's just deploying your talent in a different way that allows you to maximize their impact without being able to afford everybody being able to afford Garrett Cole and, you know, Justin Verlander. Do you think that, um, you know, Tampa Bay is an interesting example for me um, <laughs> there's a lot of risk. We, I think risk analysis and being there's the risk if Tampa Bay decides they're going to go crazy and, and sign Garrett Cole, for example, do you think there's enough risk the other way? Is there, is there enough risk for teams to just sort of uh, go through the motion, not, not go through the motions, but you know what I mean? Not make that concerted effort to win, to, to under, to, uh, I think the term you used before was, you know, outspend their revenues. Is, is there enough risk uh, to incentivize winning as opposed to, kind of taking the revenues from where they come league-wide. I mean. Yeah, man, I, you know, I, this is the kind of stuff that it's tough to, for someone like me to read. Um, I, I just can't, I can't, I mean, why do you, why are you in this business as an owner, a front office executive or anybody, if you're not in it to win, you know, I've never seen anyone that goes into a game on a given night and says, you know, we don't want to win tonight, you know, and even when you objectively know that you don't have as good a team as you want to have right now and you're not in the best place in your cycle to to win, you still it still takes over. You still feel bitter when you lose and you still want to win every single night and you still manage the game to win. You still put the best team possible. Um, there are cycles that affect different teams differently depending upon the markets they're in. If you're in a small market, they're more violent and they're more frequent. You know, if you're in a bigger market, they're less violent and they're less frequent if you're doing things well, you know. But the reality is that everybody's trying to develop and find the best way possible to win uh, for as long as they can possibly win. Once you start winning, the way baseball is legislated, you get penalized. You pick later in the draft, which has a real, it's a lag effect, but it has a real impact. If you sign major league free agents, you start losing draft picks in addition to that. And you also start trading players, which is all those things are natural, but they have, they ultimately do have a residual impact on your major league team. And when you get towards the end of that cycle, unless you're very careful and proactive uh, and how you manage it, you either hit a cliff or you have to hit like a little valley that you can pull out of hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, and speaking, going, kind of going back to the Blue Jays, uh, we were talking off air. I was talking about how you were on the At The Letters podcast with uh, Ben and Arden. And you were talking about um, just putting together a winning team and doing everything that you can to win. And you said about uh, that, that all teams, good teams, the ideal team, I guess, 
you want to have young players, you want to have guys in their prime, you want to have veteran players. Yeah. Uh, where are the guys in their prime coming from? From are we waiting till are we waiting till Bo's prime? Yeah, like that what, is like like what 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 are what are what are we doing here? Well, there's two <laughs> there's two two ways that can happen. One is that our our younger players will ultimately two to three years in they'll be in their prime. I mean that's you know that's kind that of, gets younger every year. Yeah, that gets younger yeah. every year. And the second is you know the second and third is trades and free agency. So those we'll look at all three opportunities. You know those are the there, there are four basic ways to kind of sure. get that talent, you know, and, but the, the other two would be trades and free agency. I think, and this is something I, I think I covered with those guys, and I think you'll understand, but one of the hardest things that we've, we're going through right now is um, it's easy for fans that are emotionally impacted and harder for us because we still get emotionally impacted to say, okay, this guy's not a guy. We've seen 150, we've seen 200, we've seen – even 400 plate appearances and that we're going to make a decision that, oh, he can't play defense, you know, instead of thinking deeper inside, is there something, is there a reason for that? Was he able at any point in his career to be a good defender? Was there a reason, is there a physical or fund or a uh, genetic reason to believe he can't play a good defender? Are we giving up on that? Um, so it's that there is a very careful kind of when do you make that decision to walk away from guys and just supplant them with outside guys that may have a lower ceiling um, but can give you more certainty now? Um, and so we need to be careful to walk away from some of the guys we feel like have ceiling and, and to commit and to be as we start to kind of allocate playing time, even though we know that may put us on a little slower traje- trajectory to winning. So they'll come. Um, I think you'll see some of those guys this offseason, but you're going to continue to see more and more uh, as we get closer and closer to being a contending team. We kind of went from, I think we went from rebuilding to competing last year. I think that we can look at that both subjectively and objectively in the second half of the year. We were competing clearly and winning more, but definitely competing. Now we need to go from competing to winning. And then winning the contending is probably the hardest thing to do, especially in this division. Like those are the those are the four major steps. We were in a clear rebuilding state. Then we started competing a lot more, and our guys believe how good they are. Now we need to move from competing to winning. You know, we need to start winning more. And then once we start winning more, whether that's five get to five hundred or a little over, then you need to start to go from winning to contending. And that's a, you know those are each steps along the way. You got Ben Charrington on the staff, and I think he's a great example of, of where I'm going to go with this next question, where do you think that the within the organization now you have the people to make that shift, uh, you know, very process-driven, you know, been building up the organization, building up organizational talent, you know, in the front office and, and, and putting all of these pieces in play. Do you, you feel confident and you feel good that the, the guys you've got, guys and girls and everyone you've got here uh, are ready to, to, will be ready to go when it comes time to that, to, to, to finally... Uh, not not necessarily break out from the process, but but look and say now we have a, a for now for 2021 or 2022 whenever it might be we have a more tangible goal in mind. Yeah. Um, you feel good and you feel ready to be able to um, kind of, so know, throw the maybe switch. help me like what are the example like what are you, obviously you're contrasting that with someplace else. Well, so, so like so Ben was put, put some great systems together in Boston for yeah. example uh, and and you know, developed a lot of really won a world championship, won a world championship. And then, but then, you know, Boston's ownership seems to be a little bit more, I don't know, maybe fickle (laughs) is the word. They've been through quite a bit in the front office in terms of general managers and managers. Uh, So they brought in, you know, maybe a more wizened baseball guy who maybe wasn't as uh, precious with some of the prospect capital that he had and was able to go and, and execute some big moves, you know, use the financial flexibility, use some of that, you know, the Juan Mancato was a huge acquisition cost for them. For Boston, but then they were able to move him for a, a championship piece in Chris Sale. Do you feel confident that when that time comes here in Toronto, you'll be able, you and the team will be able to to make those tough decisions about, you know, looking beyond the the bigger picture and saying like, we have a tangible goal. We're gonna we want to win the World Series. This yeah, year next. I mean that's our goal. That's our mission is to bring World Championships to Canada. You know, so I don't. I think every single person, regardless of the of where they work in the organization, whether they're a rookie ball trainer, you know, a major league intern or the assistant GM, every single human being wakes up every day thinking, how do we win a world series? None of us are in this just to keep a job. You know, I think if you're doing that, you know, it's something's wrong with you. I mean, you're driven to try to win a world championship. So 
there's people here that you know were part of lunging and doing some bold things like Joe Sheehan and Tony LaCava and Andrew Tinnish, and they were all leaders and a big part of what happened here in 15. I think the only point of differentiation would be we want to try to do it in a sustainable way. We want to try to do it in a way where we are our bites at the apple, you know, are not just two years. Um, or maybe three if we weren't able to extend it, but that we have like six, seven, eight, nine, ten years of kind of, hey, we're going to be in the mix for you know postseason every single year. Every single year we leave spring training, we have an objective reason to believe that we have we're going to be in contention. Now things happen over the year that you can't expect. Injuries happen. Things might not always, but we leave spring training and objectively say we're going to contend this year, and so that's what we're working towards. Um, you know, there, there are different opportunities to kind of take the next step and do some bold things, but the boldest thing is just winning. You know, I think we're, we're doing the toughest thing, which was having to make some very tough, unpopular decisions that don't necessarily get understood in the short term to try to do something really positive in the long term. That's amazing. Thank you so much for your time. We've already taken so much of it up already. Uh, Mr. Mark Shapiro, thank you for joining Birds All Day. It's always great to be with you guys. Yeah, thanks. thanks so much. All right, so thanks again, of course, to Mark Shapiro for taking the time out of his day to invite us into his office to allow us to chat. Uh, uh, as I said before, a very personable uh, personal man and an enjoyable talk. Spent an hour there in his office and uh, a wide-ranging conversation. If you want to hear Stoughton and I talk about this episode and so much more, cannot recommend enough, as I said before, ad-free, subscribe to, this, to The Athletic. You get all, this, all of our uh, the complete package Plus all of Stoughton's writing, everything, Raptors, Jays, Leafs, teams that are good as well. You can read all about those teams, Toronto, across the world. The, the Raptors are good. They, they, the, this is Pascal CM country, so uh, I'm excited about that. You can read about TFC, who may or may not be uh, going on to the MLS Cup. You can do that in The Athletic as well. But enough of the hard sell. You know what you need to do. You need to go to birdsallday slash, sorry, theathletic.com slash birdsallday and subscribe. If you want to get the rest of this episode. But either way, thank you so much for listening. Again, thanks to Mark Shapiro. Thanks to the, the media team for making it possible. We'll talk to you next time on Birds All Day.